Hey, hey, GBLers, welcome to Get Busy Living, a podcast that brings inspiring people together to discover what ignites them to be bigger than themselves. I'm your host, Ann O'Neill. Today, I'm joined by the cancer disruptor, Christine Handy. Christine has been a model for over 40 years and then transformed the way she looked at life after three major health traumas, including breast cancer. Christine is also a published author, motivational speaker, a mother, a philanthropist, and she even went back to get her master's in creative writing from Harvard at age 50. Enjoy the conversation with Christine and learning about ebeauty.com, an amazing resource for anyone who is going through cancer. All right, Christina, welcome to the Get Busy Living podcast. So excited for you to be here. Thank you. It's a great way to share stories and to uh, inspire others. Yeah, I know two Midwest girls real quick that are living in Miami in the sun now. So you're originally from St. Louis? I am. I'm originally from St. Louis, definitely a Midwestern girl. It stuck with me. I'm still a Midwestern girl, but I do love living in Miami. Definitely. Me as well. You know, I'm from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. My family still lives there. I love the Midwest, but man, I had to get to the sun and be able to wear shorts every day and hang out on the beach. So yes, let's get started with your story. So one of the things that I was so surprised with was like, I had no idea the world of modeling mm. and the world of athletics would have so much in common. So, you know, being a former basketball player and you as a model, I heard so many kind of congruent stories through there. So let's, for all the listeners, bring them back to when you were a young girl and wanted to get started in the modeling industry. And and we'll just kind of develop your story from there. I started modeling at a very young age, around 11. And, you know, it's funny. I think that I just heard a lot of people say to me, gosh, you're so pretty. You're just so pretty. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And so that became the determiner, right? In my 40 year modeling career, because I was just so pretty. Isn't that funny? But, you know, I think you gravitate towards what people think of you. And for sure, that's what happened to me. So I applied to this agency in St. Louis, and it really went against my parents' best decision-making. They really didn't want to push me into it. In fact, they were very much against it, especially because I had three other sisters at home and they were very busy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so to drive me around St. Louis and ultimately to travel was not part of their plan, but I was persistent, which, you know, if you look at my life, if you research who I am now, you'll appreciate the fact that I was, had a lot of persistence and grace because that's got me through major, major illnesses, including cancer. And so that kind of persistence to my parents, I think finally they just said, okay, forget it. Let's just let her try. Maybe it'll burn out. Maybe she'll get over it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately I never got over it and I'm still doing it at 52. So that's how it began. Oh my gosh. And to be 11 years old and know that you wanted to get into modeling and make a career out of it, which you have, you've been so, yeah. so successful. Thank you. And I can't wait to kind of get a little bit more into that, but let's go through, you know, as you grew up kind of your life and then some of the really hardships that had you take a different lens at looking in the world, you know, between modeling and then, you know, we're recovering after that. Right. So I don't know when this happened, but once I got into the industry, I started to learn through the industry that life was very transactional. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it was just specific to modeling because that was really the only business I've ever been in other than 
recent years. But that's kind of what I thought how the world worked. Mm-hmm. And so I took this idea of transactionalism and I applied it all to my life, right? Relationally, in business, at school. And so my whole world revolved around transaction. And it wasn't until much later in my life when I was faced with ongoing illnesses where I, I looked at my life and thought, I shouldn't be transactional. Right. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be my identity. My identity shouldn't be external and it shouldn't be what I can do for you that you're going to do something for me. And ultimately when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and my friends started to show up and they showed me that it wasn't transactional because I could not offer them anything when I was going through chemotherapy. Right. I had completely lost my external facade. I, the only facade that I thought made me worthwhile in this world Mm -hmm. And when that was all stripped away from me and my beauty was gone and my livelihood, right? Modeling was gone. Mm-hmm. And these people would show up for me. I would think to myself, I had a lot of time to introspect, right? And I would think to myself, well, shoot, if they're showing up for me, why am I not showing up for me? Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. And so I spent 15 months going through chemotherapy, working on figuring out where did that come from and how can I shift it? And so I went through this major transformation and what it came out of it was there was no transaction in my life. Mm. Like if somebody asked me to do them a favor, that's where it ends. I do them the favor, but it comes at no cost. I don't ask them for anything. Relationships as well. Wow. I mean, what a transformation through the years when you're so focused, like you said, on external things like modeling and how people say you're so beautiful. And then how do you transform that into a life of giving back and altruism? So let's take the audience back to a couple of those major illnesses that you had and kind of the details there so they can really kind of dive into the story. And then the steps, like you said, about building the community, changing your mindset, So the first major health issue I had was at at the age of 35, I had a colon resection. And if you don't understand what that means, trust me when I tell you at 35, I did not understand what that meant either. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound great though. It it doesn't, it doesn't sound great because it wasn't great, but it turned out even worse than that. Oh my gosh. So I went in for not an emergency surgery, but a necessary surgery. Okay. And once I picked the surgeon to do this, which they were going to have to take a portion of my colon out. And so in order to do the surgery, they could do it orthoscopically. And of course I come in with my modeling comp and say, okay, look at these pretty pictures of me in a bathing suit of me in lingerie, because I did a lot of my modeling was for JC and Dillard's and Neiman Marcus and newspaper back then mm-hmm. where, you know, each Sunday you'd wake up, you'd open the newspaper and I was, you know, the lingerie girl for JC Penny. And so I take in my pictures and I say, you know, we have to be very careful with the scars because the modeling world, we don't, they don't allow this sort of stuff. Right. And so the doctor was like, okay, no problem. We're going to do it orthoscopically anyway. So I wake up from surgery and I have a port in my neck with a blood bag above my head. Ultimately, I understood that the doctor made an error in surgery and he nicked a vein in one of my bones in my pelvis area. And I almost bled to death on the table because he was fighting to not open me wide up because Mm. of my modeling career. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Here I go in going here, look at my pictures, please be very careful with the scars. So he's trying to find the source of blood going, I sure can't open her up. Right. 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 Ultimately. Right. That cost me almost my life because I almost bled to death on the table. 
So that was my first brush with death. <laughs> oh my gosh. The first. Wow. <laughs> first. And that took a good year plus to get over. One, your red blood count takes a very long time when you've lost that much blood to replenish. Mm-hmm. And so after that, I kind of got some hints into maybe I was focusing my life on things that weren't really material, right? Like that weren't really important. And, but I didn't, I I didn't meditate on that too long. I went right back to going to (laughs) shop. I went right back to work. I went right back to, well, the world sucks you in right there to, you know, continue to be that kind of person. Yeah. You know, that was all I knew. And I was so good at it. Mm -hmm. I was so good at materialism. I was so good at accepting accolades from society. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And so at 40, I had a torn ligament at my right wrist. And this is an incredibly long story, but I'm gonna make it very short. (laughs) (laughs) And I went and picked the doctor and I picked the Stanford grad because he had the pedigree. Well, he had the accolades. There you go. He had the accolades. (laughs) I was like, I'm all over that. I'm picking this guy. And so, but I thought I was doing, you know, a lot of, I I was taking time to really vet the right person Mm -hmm. and he was young and he gave me all the answers and he had the degree on the wall. And so I picked him. So we do the surgery six weeks after the surgery, the cast comes off and about two days after the cast comes off, my arm ballooned my, literally my right arm looked like my thigh bone. So the doctor told me that I over iced it. He never saw a picture of it. He never had any other inclination as to why he said that. About a week later, I go into his office. He finally allowed me the privilege of going into the office. Now, are you getting a sense for the fact that the doctor was kind of bullying me? Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. And especially not even seeing a picture telling you were over-iced it, over-icing. And of course, here I am in, con- in, in this massive pain. And when you're in pain, it turns out from a psychological perspective, which I've learned, the only thing that you can focus on is getting out of pain. So he calls in a script. I'm taking the pills. I'm staying in bed until he will allow me the privilege of going into his office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So eight or nine days later, I finally go into his office and he says to me, oh, gosh, darn it. You have this thing called RSD. There's about 20 percent of my cases that get it. It's a terrible misfortune, but I'm going to send you to a physical therapist further down the road. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to send you to a pain management doctor. She's in the office. You can go see her. She'll give you some medication. And then you'll see this physical therapist because you have about six months to get some movement in your wrist. Cause after six months, because of RSD, your wrist will lock up and that's all the motion you'll have. <sighs> of course, I'm thinking, how in the world is this possible? How am I the one that got this disorder called RSD? And basically RSD is your brain telling your limb. And in this case, it's my right wrist mm-hmm. that there's pain and dysfunction and swelling, but there's really not. Ooh, and so, yes. mm-hmm. so it's kind of a misfire. Mm-hmm. And so now I think to myself, I've caused this. Oh. My brain, this is my fault. Mm-hmm. My brain is doing this. So now it's all self-blame and self-criticism. And you can imagine what's going on in my head. Oh yeah. And and so many people would internalize that too. Yes. And, and he was, he was kind of shaming me, but I was so insecure and my self-esteem was so low at the time. Mm. And that goes back to the modeling history because ironically, most of the models that I worked with, we all had a very low self-esteem. I can't imagine the mental health that, you know, and psychological, emotional health they go through with modeling. 
But, you know, when you're going through it and that's all, you know, you don't really realize the manifestations of what is happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I just had a terrible self-esteem and didn't even take the time to work on it because I didn't quite understand what was happening. And so again, going back to the arm, I went to physical therapy for several months. My arm was not getting better. The pain was getting worse. Six or seven months into this, I finally get enough courage to go see a second opinion Okay. And the second opinion doctor takes one x-ray and my every bone in my wrist is broken. And then my arm was fully fused and I have bone, cadaver bones and cadaver Achilles tendon in my arm. Wow. And six weeks go by and I'm flying up to New York City with this massive cast from my fingertips to my shoulder. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was just the cast alone was so heavy and the pain was incredible. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to live now? Here's a person who had zero scars, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was living in this very plastic society and, and being nourished, right? From that very- yes. uh-huh. Now I've got this massive scar on my abdomen. I've now got a fused arm. So like a nine inch scar on my, my arm with no wrist anymore. Wow. And I'm, I'm flying up to New York City and I feel a lump in my left breast. Oh my gosh. And literally I'm on the plane going, wait, I have to figure out how to live the rest of my life with a fused arm. And now I have a lump in my breast. Literally five days later, I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. My job. <laughs> and how, yes. And how, how to recover from that? Because you've had so many things happen to you that are extremely traumatic and you're battling against your own self-worth. What was your response to that? Oh, I, went, I couldn't wait to die. <sighs> I could not wait to, to die. Wow. That's a response. And there were so many tragedies within the tragedy because I had built this life on sand, right? On this mm -hmm. external facade. And I was sinking in that sand. And now I was going to have to build a life and a home in the illness world. And I kept rejecting that. Mm. I was like, I, I don't want to build a life in this world. I want to go back to that plastic materialistic life because that was safe for me. That's a big word where it's safe and pristine and you've built it and it looks great for everyone. It feels good to you. Yeah, it was normal. So you're, you're right there, you yeah. know, wanting to die. What transformed? Because now obviously you're thriving <laughs> and you're an incredible speaker, writer, just awesome person, all about altruism. So, so what happened in those moments that, you know, you gradually transformed your entire perspective in life? So for the next 15 months, when I was going through chemotherapy, and literally there are many days where I wasn't sure I was going to wake up the next morning mm. because the chemotherapy oftentimes kills the patient, not the cancer, but the chemotherapy. They chemo me very hard because I was young and it was an aggressive form and the regimen was just difficult. And I was already depleted. I had just come off a year of having an infection in my arm that was undiagnosed. So my yeah. body was depleted. Mm -hmm. And so... I took that time because I had all these women show up for me and say to me, this isn't transactional. It doesn't matter that this is season after season of illness, that season's going to end mm -hmm. that home. You have to build in the illness world. That's going to go away. You're going to build a different home, but you've got to focus on what kind of home you want to build going forward. And so I would listen to them and go, gosh, like if I survive this, like I can choose. Mm -hmm. And, and I started to believe in the fact that they were cheering me on. And so I shifted from 
watching like Bravo and E! News and and fixating on that world mm-hmm. and start to listen to more spiritual podcasts and more and, and like different types of shows like autobiography shows and, you know, documentaries and, yes. and, and life forcing shows like life giving. And, mm-hmm. and so my, my shift in my perspective started to change. And then I looked further deep inside and I thought to myself, you have to take those thoughts captive that are not kind to yourself. Yes. Mm -hmm. And when you take those thoughts captive, you have to replace those with other thoughts. Now, even though I didn't believe the other thoughts in the beginning, I kept saying the more positive affirmations. And eventually I started to believe in them. Not just was I saying them, but I was watching them, right? I was watching a different thing on TV. I was listening to different people. I wasn't listening to bullies anymore. I was listening to people that were cheering me on. And then that's when I had to change my own voice in my own head. I had to quit the tapes of the victim. You are a victim. You you cannot change your life. This is your lot in life. You're going to die. And then ultimately, the final piece to this puzzle was I stopped focusing on the outcome. Mm -hmm. So in the modeling world, in the transactional world, you're always focused on the outcome. What can I get from this? Right. What kind of job is coming next, right? And I stopped focusing on, well, whether I'm going to get through cancer or not doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. What matters is showing up for myself, showing up for my family, showing courage today and right now. And whatever happens next, get it off your plate, let go, let God surrender to what is now. And so when I focused on that, my life completely changed. Wow. It's talking about cultivating that growth mindset, which is one of the foundations of, of this podcast is because, you know, if we look on the external world, it is, it's like sand. Like you said, there's not a foundation of really doing that inner work yes. and choosing those thoughts. It's it's like even that psychology of, you know, just start smiling and eventually you start being happy, you know, even small little changes like that. So let's talk about how you cultivated self-esteem and, and how do you define self-esteem? I know that's one of those things that you're a major expert in from yes. growing and going through this, this entire process. I'll give you an example. When I, after I was finished with chemotherapy, there were many days when I would drive my car and because I had such a terrible chemo brain, mm-hmm. I would forget what side of the street to drive on. Oh so God. I would have to pull my car over until I saw another car to see what side of the street I was supposed to drive on. Mm. My chemo brain was dramatic and life-changing, frightening. And, and it did affect my self-esteem because I couldn't depend on my mind. Yes. And so I said to myself, you're the gatekeeper. You're the only one that can change that. So I started to play cards. I started to play games. I started to do more sports, but that wasn't enough. That wasn't fixing my brain. Mm -hmm. I took it upon myself. And I just said to myself, because I had an unstoppable self-esteem, I'm going to apply to Harvard and I'm going (laughs) to apply to get into the master's program without any prior knowledge, without any fear that I would get rejected because even if I had gotten rejected, I had built my self-esteem on faith. I had built my self-esteem on a solid ground, not dependent on the external world. Yes. So Harvard said no to me. It was okay. It was right. not going to affect me. Wow. I love that perspective of, you know, not just focusing on the outcome, but the journey and what's showing up for you in different ways. And let's talk about labels because that's a big thing, you know, where, you know, you might have a job. I've had a job once and, you know, got let go during the pandemic or for me personally, 
when I finished playing basketball, it was like, who's Ann O'Neill without basketball or without Iowa State University or, you know, whatever that is, it can show up in so many different ways. What is that like for you and how can the listeners like learn from your experience of not, you know, having those external labels and how you've been able to kind of, again, transform your own perspective of yourself? Christine Handy, the model is the woman who's going on, you know, on New York Fashion Week, modeling with a concave chest, doing it for other people. I'm not worried about my self-esteem. I'm not on the runway for me. I'm on the runway for all the people whose messages I get on my DM saying that I don't have any self-worth anymore because my breasts were excavated. I'm doing it for them. Because if we just show people the highlight reels, we're not only cutting our own self-esteem, we're cutting theirs. Yes. And it's, it's an unfair, we, it's like saying we have an unfair advantage. Nobody has an unfair advantage. Nobody has a highlight reel because nobody's life is perfect. Right. And if we can see social media and life like that, then it's just a gr- more graceful way to live life. Mm-hmm. If we follow people that just constantly show the highlight reels, we're following the wrong people. Yeah. Like that's going to sink inside. Like whoever you follow, you ultimately become. We need to follow along side in life with people that inspire us, that people show grace, that people show trauma and don't just speak about highlight reels. It's so interesting how you have to really kind of look at society and what you know they expect or what is being put out there and, and what's actually true for you and finding that balance between both. You know, and like you said, you're always programming your heart and your mind, you know, every day with different thoughts, with your self-worth, with, you know, the visualization. I, you know, I keep pictures in a certain album and I call it my mind movie. So I know where I'm headed. I just kind of keep looking at it that way of where do I want to be in, you know, another year, 18 months. And I look at those pictures. And so if I get caught up on Instagram or something like that, I go to that because I'm like, oh, this is really what I'm about and what I really want to focus on because that world can suck you in so fast. You have to live a focused life on your self-worth, right? And your self-being and who you are, whatever that is. And if you live an authentic life to yourself, rooted in things that are not going to be taken from you, like whatever can be taken from you, you don't want to root your, your life in that, right? And that mm-hmm. includes society. That includes materialism. That includes alcohol, drugs, whatever. Those types of things, they can be stripped away. Your beauty. Yes. So find things that can't be stripped away. For me, it's faith. Mm. Oh, I love that. And for faith, you're believing in something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And whatever that means, you know, yeah. whatever, yes, whatever it means to you. You know, I like to, I do a meditation down here in Miami on the beach every morning. I love yes. that. I feel connected yes. to like a higher sense of self and what I'm up to. You know, that's why I created the podcast where the tagline is discovering what ignites people to be bigger than themselves. And, yes. and that's why it's so great that you're here because you had this one life before and, and now you've amplified your life through going through a tough, very, very tough time into service and giving back to so many people. And I'd love to talk about your work on the nonprofit boards. So let's go into that. I know we have eBeauty. So tell the listeners a little bit about that, because I know there's resources for people all over the United States, and it's such a cool program. So let's chat a little bit about eBeauty. Yeah. So I'm on the board of two nonprofits. One is called eBeauty, and it's a wig exchange program. Here's the most beautiful part of that, it's free service. Oh, yes. Any man, any woman, doesn't matter, going through treatment that cannot afford a wig, 
They just go to our website, ebeauty.com, and they pick the color of the cut and the style, and we will ship one out to you for free. No problem. (laughs) We ask for nothing. It's not transactional. Oh, I love that. It's amazing. Those services are so needed right now, you know, with people that are going through chemotherapy and it still makes people feel good. Their self-worth still will feel better with, with this wigs. You got involved because of your cancer disruptor, which I loved that label. Got a little bit more about, you know, some of the different exchange programs there and the resources they have. So we partnered with L'Oreal who gives us grant money because our biggest expense for eBeauty is the shipping costs. Mm-hmm. And we also partnered with Paul Mitchell Salons. Their schools wash and style our wigs. Wow. And we have redistributed over 60,000 wigs to women who've needed them. It's <sighs> such a beautiful organization. So if you know anybody who's going through treatment, who wants a wig, because yes, that can help with self-esteem. For me, my children wanted to see me with the same type of hair. Mm. So I used a lot of wigs because my kids, when they came home from school, they wanted to see their mom. And they told me that. They didn't want to see a woman with a bald head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I was able to afford a wig. And so that was very, you know, I was very lucky, but a lot of people can't. So this is a great resource for people. Such a great resource. I was on the website uh, earlier. It says beauty without boundaries. And like I said, there's resources for every state. They have support groups, hospital, wig salons, all these different links that you can go to. So any one of you that might know of someone that can benefit from having a wig, again, you said they're free and they ship everywhere and they're styled by, you know, some of the best in the business. So that is amazing. Well, we're almost ready to wrap up. We need to chat about your book real quick as well that you wrote while, you know, as a fictional book yes. going through all of your journeys. So tell the listeners a little bit about that and where they can get the book. So my book is called Walk Beside Me. It's actually been slated to become a film. It's been written into a screenplay that really is a beautiful reflection of the book. So Often, cool. It's so cool. Oftentimes. <laughs> Thank you. Oftentimes books that are translated into films, they don't often mirror what the book was actually about. In this case, it's going to look very similar. And so my book is a fictional depiction of my life and I published it in 2016 and it's been republished a couple of times. You know, it doesn't even talk about breast cancer until page 200. So it starts with kind of life prior to Mm, illness. And then it ends with my end of chemotherapy. I've written a second book, which I'm working on in the master's program at Harvard. And so I will publish it once I've changed it. Cause you know, I'm such a different writer now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so exciting. (laughs) I'm learning these amazing tools to write and I love to write. It's like, I feel at home when I write having, you know, built a new home outside of the illness space. I'm building a new home. And I feel like that part of it is writing and exploring, you know, this different emotions and self-love and self-care. And part of that is writing. So it's a great season, I think. And okay. So again, the book is called Walk Beside Me. And and you've said this a few times about the season. And I think that's so important for the audience to listen is because something doesn't last forever. It's a cycle. Once you realize that it's a season and you kind of just keep growing through it. I mean, when you hear Christine's story of modeling and now she just discovered this amazing world of writing and keeps growing within it. And I think that's something as well. I've you know started the podcast and I've gotten excited about writing and then I've gotten excited about this meditation or this kind of interest. And, and they just keep growing if you kind of move through those seasons, you know, fluidly and, and keep propelling yourself forward, I'd say, with that growth mindset. 
You can try new things and, and look at my modeling, mm-hmm. you know, my modeling seasons, they've changed dramatically. And I thought for sure, you know, with my colon and my arm and cancer, that my modeling career would be over. I just walked in New York fashion week. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Congratulations. That's so cool. I just think it's such a great story because it just shows you that illness doesn't have to stop your life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to paralyze you. I've done more with my life post diagnosis of cancer than I did prior to my life. Wow! And I, and I try to like shout that from the rooftops because so many people that I meet and mentor in the breast cancer space are just, just say to me, oh, my life's over. I'll never be that innocent again. And you know what? You may not be that, have that innocence again, but your life is not over. Yes. Yes. It couldn't always be just the beginning. Like what's the best that could happen from, you know, those kind of dark places. And all of that is introspection. All of that, all those things that we're talking about, it's introspection. It's getting to know yourself. It's asking yourself questions. Who am I? What do I want to do? What is my purpose? Just keep asking yourself. Yes. Yes. That inquiry. When you sit in that inquiry, you never know what shows up. The spaces get bigger. You get more creative. (laughs) Life gets brighter. Like look at just listen to Christine's story. And of course, go check out her book. It's walk beside me. And then Christine, where can everyone find you so they can, you know, connect with you and follow your news story? (laughs) You know, you can just Google Christine Handy. There's a fair amount of information out there. You can go to my website. There's tons of interviews there. You can go to Instagram, Christine Handy One. Okay. I didn't put one there because I wanted to. It was just somebody else was Christine Handy there already. <laughs> yes, that happens once in a while. So Christine Handy One on Instagram. Our yeah. website is christinehandy.com. And we'll put all this information in the show notes where everyone can find you. What an incredible story. But there's always the season to keep growing through and working on the inner work. And I think, you know, you've been able to share that so much here and our audience will have a lot of takeaways from, from that. I hope so. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for listening to our conversation. If you have a GBL story in your life, share it with me on Instagram at getbusyliving underscore pod. I might just share your story on a future episode. Thank you for sharing in the good vibes and giving back and GBLing with us.